0: As an operator, you look at what sort of return are we achieving through investment in operations, and if we have that money invested in real estate, what's kind of the implicit return that we're receiving in our own real estate? And then there's the compliance thing to think about. If you have physicians who are lessees, what sort of risks do we have, and do we have to hire some outside consultant like Victor or a broker or something to help us sort through you know our real estate lease compliance issues? So there's kind of there's kind of a wide array of i think financial strategic compliance that you think through if you're if you're a healthcare operator in deciding do I want to own my real estate do I want to lease my real estate if I want to sell it what do I want to commit to in terms of a, a lease term do I want it to be in a joint venture lots of options
1: this is the Provider's Properties and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to this week's episode of the Providers Properties and Performance Podcast, where I interview Victor McConnell, Managing Director and Head of Real Estate Services at VMG Health. This is part one of a two-part episode, and in this episode, we talk about how evaluating healthcare properties involves the real estate portion plus the operational portion with regard to the healthcare company or healthcare companies occupying the property and with the healthcare companies, how important it is to understand the value of your real estate. And then next week, we dive into trends in the healthcare and healthcare real estate industry that were happening pre-pandemic and that are likely to happen post-pandemic. And I hope you enjoy both episodes. Victor, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. Thank you,
0: Tricia. I'm happy to be here.
1: So why don't you start with sharing with the audience what VMG Health does as a whole for the healthcare industry, and then specifically the real estate services that serve the healthcare industry?
0: So VMG is a healthcare M&A advisory valuation firm. We were founded in the early 90s, originally doing primarily business valuations, valuations of everything from physician practices up to entire hospital systems. And then over the last 20 or so years, we've added other service lines like PSA, valuation of compensation arrangements, quality of earnings, black box, capital assets, equipment, and where I sit, real estate, we've had for about a decade. And our real estate service line works exclusively with healthcare-related properties. Sometimes we're engaged by hospital systems or physician groups or private equity. It could be real estate-focused or operationally-focused private equity. And then we also do a fair amount of litigation support work and then other consulting work that has often a valuation component.
1: And DMG Health serves clients nationally or is there a specific geographic focus?
0: We do nationally and then occasionally internationally. We actually valued a 1 million square foot hospital in the Middle East a couple of years ago.
1: Interesting. So you began your real estate career as an appraiser and when did you start to focus on healthcare real estate?
0: I did some healthcare real estate starting probably around 2008. I had a bit of an atypical path. I was a creative writing major at Dartmouth, in undergrad, and kind of fell into the real estate world by happenstance. And I've been doing work with BMG since about 2012 or 2013.
1: That is interesting. It's interesting how our career paths wind. Life never goes it. as we expect it to. Right? <laughs> exactly. So I'm excited to have this interview because I really want to selfishly pick your brain on some healthcare trends, but before discussing that, healthcare companies are making strategic decisions all the time, either for long-term strategic goals or current market conditions that they want to take advantage of and understanding the value of their real estate, you know, real estate assets under management, fair market value versus book value or the annual run rate, which is either the cost to operate that real estate or lease costs as well. How important is it for healthcare companies to understand the value and cost of, of their real estate expense? And after that, you know, how they align the cost of the real estate with the operational costs and make strategic decisions and plans? Yeah, I think
0: as as I'm sure you've seen and experienced, I think the way real estate is thought of within the healthcare world, whether it's on the, the investor side or on the, the operator side has has changed a lot you know real estate is typically the the largest item on a hospital balance sheet so in any sort of hospital transaction one hospital acquiring another or you know a joint venture or anything like that real estate maybe 20 years ago was more of an afterthought i think now hospitals think about it more strategically and they realize maybe more how real estate fits into strategic plans both from a geographic footprint perspective and also from a Hospital campus perspective as where and how we can provide care changes, what's needed on the, the actual campus changes. And then there's all, also more investors who are interested in owning healthcare real estate and who understand it better. And so they may be w- more willing to invest in, say, an orthopedic hospital or a surgery center or a cancer center or property types that, again, in the past may have been perceived as. As highly specialized, and only a, a very small group of investors would be interested. Now, I think that pool is is larger. So, wherever you kind of sit in the healthcare real estate spectrum, there's a greater understanding of complexity and of strategic importance when it comes to how how real estate fits into the the overall kind of healthcare business.
1: For some financial advantages of of understanding their real estate, you know, I maybe insurance and changing changing that against the value, some capital asset valuations, if they're wanting to renegotiate a loan or, or put new debt on a property, negotiate some leasing, some ground lease valuations, you know, like you said, for campus and then, you know, stark regulations. And so can you touch on a couple things about those that could be advantageous for a hospital or health group to use their valuation to benefit them?
0: Yeah. I mean, if I were a hospital and I was thinking about my real estate, I'm thinking, what can I do with it? It's a, you know, it's a tool to provide patient care, but it's also, it can be a tool for say, physician alignment. I can choose to enter into a joint venture with some physicians and developing a new property that may align with the strategic objectives of both the hospital, as well as the physician group. Those can be complex. They can require parties to consider, you know, what's the value of say a lease guarantee or who's going to be responsible between the parties for which aspects of development, and then some hospitals may prefer to own because maybe they they have kind of nonprofit considerations where there's a tax exempt status that they have to to consider, or they can get money from large donors who can put their name on a cancer center, and you know that's something that that may not be possible with. With outside capital. On the other hand, as an operator, you look at what sort of return are we achieving through investment in operations? And if we have that money invested in real estate, what's kind of the implicit return that we're receiving in our own real estate? And then there's the compliance thing to think about. If you have physicians who are lessees, what sort of risks do we have? And do we have to hire some outside consultant like Victor or a broker or something to help us sort through? you know, our real estate lease compliance issues. So there's kind of, there's kind of a wide array of, I think, financial strategic compliance that you think through if you're, if you're a healthcare operator in deciding, do I want to own my real estate? Do I want to lease my real estate? If I want to sell it, what do I want to commit to in terms of a a lease term? Do I want it to be in a joint venture? Lots of options. Where I would fit in or where VMG would fit in from a kind of third party valuation perspective, you know we we help our clients kind of sort through those options. It, it could be as simple as physician lease renewal or something and they need a third-party opinion on what's a fair market rent renewal for the surgery center, this medical office building or, or the specialty hospital. in other cases it could be a more complex transaction where like I was mentioning earlier, it's a new project it's a joint venture on a development and there's a lot of different pieces to it one of which includes real estate. And there's also, you know, other operational considerations that they need third-party assistance to help sort through and and make sure the transaction's commercially reasonable and within kind of fair market value parameters.
1: Do healthcare companies ever come to you and and say, hey, you know, we want to kind of understand what the value is of our real estate in order to maybe take advantage of some market conditions like right now and cap rates compressing or that, you know, they have a lease coming up. Do they want to, would it make more sense to purchase a property? Do they ever come to you with those sorts of questions?
0: They do. I mean, you know, or they may talk to their broker, but obviously that sometimes they think, well, is our, our broker has an incentive for us (laughs) to sell, you know, but yeah, that's, that's something sometimes we'll have say with a lease renewal, maybe a company with a sale we've, we've done analysis where say, if we, if we commit to a, 5 versus 10 versus 15-year lease term, what does that do to cap rate in a sale? And then if, if you're in a joint venture, how do you distribute the profits between, say, hospital and physician? Or strategically, what are you comfortable committing to from a lease perspective? In terms of assessing market conditions, it's somewhat of a double-edged sword. Obviously, cap rates are correlated with cost of capital to some extent. So again, if, if I'm a healthcare provider, I'm debating do I want to do a sale leaseback or sell this property or do I want to borrow money? And so you're, you're kind of looking at those two things, you know, hand in hand, because if you can borrow money at 4%, that may or may not be attractive than doing a a sale leaseback at a five and a half or 6% cap rate or whatever it is.
1: Exactly. But the common denominator between all of those decisions is understanding understanding the value the current value of your real estate which fluctuates. yeah that's,
0: that's absolutely right and understanding it in the context of both i think it's important to think about it in the context of both an owner occupant as well as from an investment markets' perspective sometimes those two are aligned and sometimes there's there's a difference there and theoretically you know if the investment market is has a stronger kind of valuation then you could make a, an argument that the owner occupant should more strongly consider looking at a, you know, potential investment sale.
1: Do you have any healthcare companies that like to perform the, this analysis, like on a quarterly basis, or do you get a lot that are like, hey, wait, we have a problem to solve and, and we need your help on this particular situation.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have, you know, there's, there's the REITs that will do, you know, quarterly updates and such for, you know, for financial reporting. The, the hospitals don't have the same requirements to report, say, real estate values. So I generally don't see that. I mean, I think a sort of top to bottom system assessment of, of real estate is, is done less frequently by hospitals. And it's it can be done from a strategic angle, what you're getting at, like understanding, hey, what what sort of value do we have here? How do we want to, to use this real estate either as you know, collateral in a debt issuance or do we want to sell any of it? Maybe, you know, I was talking with a a hospital real estate person who said, hey, we have 400 sites of care, you know, owned or leased properties. We don't know what the right number is. Maybe the right number is 250. Maybe the right number is 450. But we understand strategically what we need from a sites of care perspective. And then the second question is, do we want to own or lease those sites of care? You know, both of those are kind of, internal questions for a system to sort through that tie back to your comment about understanding value. The other part I think that's updated maybe a little more regularly that hospitals take different approaches on is their rent analysis. Some hospitals will do it on a case-by-case basis. Others have internal market studies. Others hire external firms to do studies on an individual market or or they have you know, brokers or appraisers do it. And in terms of timing, again, that varies. I've seen anywhere from one to two to three years, generally on how often are we taking a hard look at what I would call f rent, fair market value rent. So I don't know if that answers your question.
1: Yeah, no, it does, it does. You know, when I prepared this, I was saying, you know, now that we're heading out of the pandemic and now we're having some hiccups, but in general, I mean, what have healthcare companies? What has the pandemic done as far as making decisions for for healthcare companies that they may have not considered pre-pandemic? That that you're seeing. I mean, obviously, there's the basic ones, but are there any new ones that there that are coming across your desk as a result of the pandemic affecting them? Well, some decisions.
0: I'll I'll pretend that I perfectly understand all of the short and long term consequences <laughs> of the pandemic on like all aspects of social and economic life including <laughs> the healthcare real estate sector.
1: No, no, just now, the healthcare, yeah, just healthcare yeah, but no, well
0: even that I think I think the story that you read I think again and again is is one of variability across across our economy and I think the healthcare sector, healthcare real estate sector is no exception to that. So another common theme is kind of the large getting long, larger, the financially well positioned hospital systems coming out of it doing Okay, or or in some cases having a even stronger market position, and then those who are more vulnerable being in maybe even more dire straits. And so, how does that impact real estate? Well, again, it it depends. It depends on what your market looks like from a kind of market fundamentals perspective, and then what sort of you know asset class are you in? Are you in you know skilled nursing or assisted living or are you in inpatient rehab hospitals? Are you in medical office buildings, surgery centers, urgent care, free standing EDs? There's a different different reimbursement environment, different payer environment. I guess saying the same thing a different way. And then geographically, you know, the markets that there's a lot of population growth and kind of things that drive fundamental real estate demand. Those are the same markets that, generally speaking, are are doing better. And so the hospitals in those markets are grappling with a different set of decisions versus your tertiary or more rural hospital, which is struggling to keep its doors open and maybe has excess space. So it's a complicated story. I mean, the the things that people have been talking about for a decade, outpatient migration, those things, those are all, of course, still happening. They're manifesting in different ways. The freestanding NED, urgent care, you and I Talked about a little bit in our kind of preparation. That's a, I think, a good example of one model that had some serious struggles and another that's been more consistently had more consistent growth, but both kind of trying to do the same thing, you know, trying to capture patients who would otherwise be going elsewhere into a different outpatient setting. Same thing with surgery centers, which have been on a multi decade growth trend that hasn't really changed. You know, there's still that flow of surgical procedures that used to be able to be performed in a hospital or that used to have to be performed in a hospital. Now they can be performed in an outpatient setting. What does it mean? Well if it's a if it's spinal or hip, you may need a larger OR. You may need, you know, some design changes to your surgery center to be competitive. So that was a long sprawling answer, but I think no, it's I, a, I,
1: like
0: I think it's a complicated question in terms of I guess my short answer would be a lot of the trends pre-pandemic remain in place, I think some of those maybe have been accelerated would be what I would say. And that the big have gotten bigger and the small are struggling more, be my soundbite.
1: Right. And maybe like the hospitals that were already putting their, you know, outpatient services out of the hospital and really, really having the hospital focus on acute care and higher acuity care versus those that have thought about it or, you know, not quite developed the strategy. I'm thinking the larger, the ones that have already started that process and and have the ability to just implement it faster might have a lot more long-term success than trying to do it while they're going through the pandemic and having to deal with that as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's true. If you're, if you were already kind of out in front of some of those trends, then you're probably handling them a little better now. I mean, I think there's still some unanswered questions about, you know, how durable some of the pandemic effects will be, you know, telehealth is the one everybody cites. I talked to a hospital in the West Coast early on and they had done like in the first two weeks of April of 2020, they did something like three times the total amount of telehealth that they had done in the entire year previously. So, you know, that obviously that's not going to stay at that level, but some amount of the that care will remain. You know, patients patients still want to see the doctor for a lot of things, but there'll be some things that consumer preference will change and healthcare provider, you know, preference and technological abilities will change. And I think I think that's still all kind of shaking out. I don't think anyone really knows for sure where it's all going to land.
1: Yeah. I think it's a great addition to use as a additional tool, but it, actually, it can't replace it. But I think it's great for triageing i think it it would be good mm-hmm. for that and then are you seeing healthcare companies kind of assessing their so if they had some non clinical space that you know they want to reallocate and either convert to clinical i'm sure some of their operational and administrative folks that are non clinical that maybe going to more of a hybrid workforce do you see them kind of trying to analyze that and use their the real estate especially maybe the most expensive real estate for their highest acuity clinical use?
0: Yeah, well, I think the admin space is one of the things that has maybe changed the most and still, I mean, I think the healthcare sector, like a lot of the general commercial real estate sector, still doesn't know what ultimately what they're going to require their employees in terms of how many days a week are we going to come into the office? Are we going to use a hotel in configuration? Are we going to what's our office footprint going to look like? I think those questions are still somewhat unanswered. And you've seen, you see the news every week, some large company announces a policy about people coming back into the office, and then they change the policy when there's feedback in one direction or the other. And I don't think the healthcare sector is an exception to that. So I think your comment about potentially rethinking how the healthcare community is using administrative space, I think is right. I don't think that there's a clear answer, but you know, I was working with the health system that was considering an acquisition that they were going to use for administrative office space that was near their campus. They moved forward with the acquisition under the same terms as pre-COVID. This was a deal that had been discussed before COVID, and they closed on it a few months after. But they said, we don't know what we're going to use it for. I said, we're still going to buy it. We still think we're going to need it for something, but we don't know. It could inspire campus. It, it was an old building that was going to be renovated. So I think in their case, they kind of looked at it and said, well, we don't think our space needs are going to be less. They may be different. We just don't know exactly what they're going to look like yet.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's fair too. So going back to some growth strategies, you know, some may be able to implement faster, you know, in order to implement them faster, do you see, I know hospitals, you know, in my opinion, their capital should be used for mostly their operations and, you know, the real estate, obviously that needs to house them some of it, but when it comes down to it, you know, their need to serve, you know, to provide healthcare services should be where, I, in my opinion, a lot of their resources go to first. So, do you see that in order for some of these healthcare companies and hospitals to implement some of their plans faster with regard to the real estate, needing the real estate to do it, are they more open to partnering with capital partners, development partners, and in, in order to implement this quicker and maybe share the risk?
0: Yeah, I, I mean. I think there still is kind of, not across the board, but a, a lot of hospitals prefer to own their on-campus real estate. Some don't. Some have changed the, the outlying areas or, to your point, if you're developing a, a string of outpatient clinics of whether it's, I don't know, urgent care, or primary care, I see more alternative structures there. Whether In some cases, it could be you have a, a development partner on the real estate side. And then you also have an operating partner, maybe the hospital is partnering with an entity that specializes in whatever the platform is, a primary care clinic or an urgent care clinic. So you may have participation on the real estate landlord position from the hospital or the physician or the operator who's partnering with a developer. And then on the lessee side, it could be any combination of those entities as well. And ultimately, I think what's going to drive what the right structure is, is going to be the strategic objectives of those, the hospital, of the physicians, of the, if there's a, a platform company that's operating it, how do those overlap? What sort of, you know, growth targets do they have? What's their capital availability? Do they have a development partner that they think has the right combination of you know, geographical and architectural and development expertise to develop what may be a specialty clinic type. And and then what sort of debt can they get depending upon the structure, depending upon who the, who's going to be the owner, who's going to be the lessee, how high cost is it? If it's, if it's very high cost, then if I'm a lender, I'm going to look at it with greater scrutiny because I know that if it goes dark, if it fails, the, the gap between the value of the property as built versus in a vacant scenario, it could be wider, so that means you have to do more diligence around either the the lease guarantee or the operational projections, or both. So, I don't know if there's more, if to kind of your original question, if a greater percentage of those types of developments are using outside capital than they were before. But I think that there's a, I think there's a wider array of different structuring options, and the potential of different structures are. Or maybe more. There's more to choose from. Even just strictly with a third-party developer, there's the traditional build-to-suit, you know, yield-on-cost. There's the the fully amortizing kind of CTL structure where it's more of a financing deal. And then there's a lot of kind of permutations in between. Yeah,
1: you know, I always recommend that they you can consider several options until the one that becomes the the most beneficial kind of appears. So I guess do they ask you for some? help in considering like evaluating the real estate and and maybe giving them a little bit of idea based on their value of the real estate and where, where it sits on their balance sheet, kind of which direction might be most beneficial for them? Or is that like an additional level?
0: Well, some hospitals, it depends on how large and sophisticated their real estate department is and what kind of internal capabilities they have. And then generally the real estate's not the driver, right? It's the, you know, whatever the kind of operational or strategic focus is, if the, if, so it's, it's how does the real estate help them achieve that objective? And that a lot of times that's, that's kind of self-evident. You know, if they have some physician partners that are interested in, in participating in the real estate, then that's the structure that's going to make sense strategically, you know, you probably don't need to do a lot of financial analysis to figure that out same thing if you have a you know private equity platform company that doesn't want to own real estate then that kind of eliminates some options right off the bat for us it, it it kind of depends on in part who's who's hiring us or who's asking the questions you know sometimes it's a if it's a real estate investor client a you know a read an individual or private equity their concern may be more on the risk side they're investing in this specialty healthcare property that's a it's a surgery center, it's a micro hospital, it's recent and ED, they want to know what's their risk. And sometimes that risk is tied to if it's a purpose-built asset, the risk is going to be tied to either who's guaranteeing the lease or the operational projections. And if you're if you live and breathe the projections in that industry, then you can look at them and benchmark certain projections to help understand how likely is this tenant to pay or to default on their rent which is the core question you want to ask if you're you know a landlord and so how you answer that question again depends on On who uh, who
1: you're representing
0: (laughs) well well it depends on if it's a lease guaranteed by a parent hospital system then the the risk is probably more associated with that parent system whereas if it's a lease that's guaranteed by just the llc that's specific to that surgery center your risk is more and it's a and the surgery center costs $700 a foot to build, then your risk is associated with the projections there. So you ideally, you want to have someone look at the projections and say, okay, they're projecting X in terms of arthroscopies, knee arthroscopies, is the volume and the reimbursement reasonable? Are the operating expenses reasonable? Are they going to be able to pay rent? So that that question in that case is more operationally focused less about the real estate. That's what informs the risk. Whereas in other cases, it may be, it may be more of a real estate specific exercise.
1: I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers Properties and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.